Part One, Chapter Sixteen of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Seventeen ninety four Voyage to Boston. I have already related how I took out two months before a certificate of residence with nine witnesses under the name of Dillon Gouvernet. It was now necessary to go and obtain a passport under the name of La Tour, and to avoid the name of Dillon, which was too well known at Bordeaux. I decided to replace the name of Dillon with that of Lee, which my uncle Lord Dillon had added to his own when he received the inheritance of Lord Lichfield, his great-uncle. It was impossible to draw back. The Bureau of Passports was closed at nine o'clock, and we went there at eight-thirty. The date was the 8th of March, 1794. My husband walked quite a distance ahead with Bonny. I followed, accompanied by a friend of the latter, who carried in his arms my little girl, six months of age, and led by the hand my son, who was not then four years old. On account of the English or American name which I wished to take, I was dressed as a lady, but very badly gotten up and wearing an old straw hat. We entered the hall of the Hôtel de Ville, which was full of people. I was trembling with fear lest some inhabitant of Saint-André-de-Cubzac or of Bordeaux should recognise us. We therefore took care, Monsieur de la Tour du Pain and I, to keep as far apart from one another as possible, and to avoid the lighted part of the hall. Furnished with this card, we ascended to the Bureau of Passports, and as we entered, we heard the employé cry out, That is enough for today, the rest tomorrow. Any delay would have cost our lives, as you will see. Bunny rushed up to the desk and said, If you are tired, citizen, I will write for you. The other consented, and Bonnie made out the collective passport for the Latour family. As soon as the passport was signed, we took it with keen satisfaction, although we were still very far from being saved. It had been arranged in order that we should not both be found in the same house, and to avoid the necessity of passing through Bordeaux the following morning in full daylight, that Monsieur de la Tour du Pain should pass the night with the Consul of Holland, Monsieur Meyer, who lived in the last house of the Chartrand, and was entirely devoted to us. Monsieur de Bouchon was waiting for us in the street, and conducted my husband there. As for myself, after having taken the children back to the house, I went to see Madame de Fontenay, where I expected to see Talien, who had to visa our passport. I found her in tears. Talian had received the order of his recall, and had already left two hours before. She herself was to leave in the morning, and she did not conceal from me her fears that the ferocious Isabeau, the colleague of Talian, would refuse to visa our passport. But Alexandre, the secretary of Talian, assured us that he would obtain the visa. He said that Isabeau always signed on leaving the theatre, and that, as he was in haste to have his supper, he hardly regarded the papers which were presented to him. Providence, in its kindness, had wished that Isabeau should demand of Talian 
to leave with him his secretary alexandre who not only was very useful to him but also had the address to render himself necessary at the moment that i entered the house of madame de fontenay alexandre left to go and get the signature he took the passport and slipped it in between a number of others isabeau who was very much taken up that day with the arrival of his new colleague whom he looked for in the morning signed without paying any attention and as soon as alexandre was at liberty to leave he ran to madame de fontenay's where i was waiting more dead than alive i was not there alone for a person whom i did not know had entered this man was no other than monsieur de fontenay at this moment alexandre arrived holding the passport unfolded in his hand he was so out of breath that he fell on a chair without being able to articulate more than the words le voilà madame de fontenay and i embraced him with all our hearts for he was our real sauveur alexandre was getting ready to leave and as it was nearly midnight i also prepared to leave with him madame de fontenay kept me for a moment by saying that she would have me escorted but that before i left she wished to show me something very pretty i followed her into her bedroom where monsieur de fontenay who was still silent accompanied us from a drawer she took out a handkerchief and laid it upon the table then opening a handsome jewel-case she took out a collection of diamonds of the greatest magnificence and threw them upon the handkerchief pell-mell when she had thus emptied all the drawers of the jewel-box without leaving the least thing she tied up the ends of the handkerchief and handed it to monsieur de fontenay with these words prenez tout and he indeed took all and went out without opening his mouth i showed my great surprise and she replied to my thought by saying he had given me a part the rest came from my mother he also is leaving to-morrow for america all of our baggage had now been on board for three days without my spy having imagined that all the wardrobes and all the drawers were empty i paid the most tender adieu to my maid marguerite whom i left under the protection of monsieur de Boucan. finally on the tenth of march taking my daughter seraphine in my arms and my son humbert by the hand i said to the nurse that i was going to take them to the allee de tourney which at this time is still the usual promenade for children and that i would be back in an hour or two instead of returning i walked towards the glacis de chateau trompette where i rejoined monsieur de chambeau to whom i had given rendezvous he had also obtained passage on our boat as it was necessary for political reasons for him to leave the city with the shortest possible delay i found him at the chateau trompette accompanied by a boy carrying his portmanteau which was very light he took the hand of Humbert, and when we arrived at the end of the chartron and saw the boat of the diane we both of us experienced a feeling of joy such as one does not often have in this life monsieur meyer with whom my husband had passed the night was awaiting us we found already at luncheon the good Brucon, madame de fontenay and three or four other persons in spite of all our efforts the famine at bordeaux was so great that we had been able to procure very few provisions 
several sacks of potatoes and of beans, a small box of preserves, and fifty bottles of Bordeaux wine comprised all our riches. Captain Pierce had several casks of biscuits, but they were eighteen months old, as he had brought them from Baltimore. Monsieur Meyer gave me a little bag of fresh biscuits, which I kept to make soup for my little girl. But of what importance was all that, compared to the fact that the life of my husband was saved? Madame de Fontenay was overjoyed at her success. Her beautiful face was bathed with tears of joy when we entered the boat. She has since told me that this moment, thanks to our expressions of gratitude, was one of the pleasantest of which she had preserved the memory. When the captain was seated at the helm and cried, Off! A feeling of indescribable happiness overcame me, seated before my husband, whose life I was saving, with my two children upon my knees, nothing to me seemed impossible. Poverty, work, misery, nothing was difficult with him. The boat Diane had descended with the preceding tide as far as Bec d'Ombez, where we were to rejoin it. We had received orders from headquarters to hail a ship of war stationed as sentinel in the middle of the river at the entrance of the port. Our captain prepared to submit his papers and our passports. This was a dangerous moment. We did not dare to speak French nor to look up towards the bridge of the war-vessel. The captain alone went on board. He did not know a word of French, although he had spent a year at Bordeaux. A voice from the bridge cried, Have the woman come up to serve as interpreter. I was struck with a mortal terror. But our captain leaned over the rail and told me not to answer. I did not raise my eyes. At this moment, a French boat, in great haste and full of men in uniform, approached. The captain took advantage of this diversion, seized his papers, jumped into the boat, and we rowed away as fast as possible. At last we found our little vessel, the Diane, and settled ourselves on board as well as possible. The second falling tide took us in front of Poyac, where we had again to receive the visit of two other guard-vessels. The officers who came on board were very polite, but very inquisitive. As the wind was absolutely contrary and showed no signs of changing, the captain proposed to us to go on land for dinner, where we might have a chance to buy some articles to add to our provisions. Here we had a narrow escape from being recognised by a servant who served the dessert and who thought she recognised my husband. It was therefore with a feeling of relief that we found ourselves once more in the cabin of the Diane. Fortunately, the wind changed, and the following day we left behind us the Tour de Cordouan. The little brig upon which we had embarked was only of a hundred and fifty tons, that is to say, a large bark. As the cargo was composed solely of our twenty-five boxes or trunks, the boat rolled horribly. My maritime apprenticeship was very painful. We had agreed with our captain regarding our board, but he, as unfortunate as ourselves, had not been able to procure provisions other than those which had been furnished by the marine stores. At the time of our departure from Bordeaux, 
one of the four sailors that had a terrible fall from the top of the mast into the hold and was out of service only three sailors remained to manoeuvre the boat the crew therefore consisted only of these three sailors a cabin boy who acted as servant the captain who was a young man without much experience the mate who like himself was from nantucket and an old sailor of much experience named harper whom the captain consulted on every occasion the captain had a little room which he occupied alone he had given a cabin to my husband and myself and another to monsieur de chambeau my husband did not leave his bed for thirty days he suffered terribly from seasickness and also from the poor food at the time the americans were at war with the algerians who had already captured several of their vessels our captain was in such great terror of these pirates that at two leagues from the tour de cordouan he set his course towards the north and declared that nothing in the world would reassure him before he was to the north of ireland one day the sailor who was on watch upon the deck cried out french man of war ahead the captain rushed on deck and at the same time ordered us not to appear a cannon shot was heard it was the commencement of a conversation upon which depended the question of our life or death the vessel announced itself as french by displaying its flag we also showed our flag and after the usual questions we heard our captain reply for we were not able to distinguish the questions from the french boat no passengers no cargo to which the atalante replied come on board our captain said that the sea was too rough then the conversation terminated with a word from the french vessel follow and we set our only sail and with submission followed in the wake of the french vessel the captain on descending said to us gaily in another hour it will be night and there is a fog coming on never was a fog hailed with greater joy we soon lost sight of the frigate in the darkness and as we were making as little sail as possible she continued to gain upon us the frigate had signalled to us that she was going into brest and wanted us to follow as soon as night fell we took the route directly contrary and the wind being very strong and favourable with all sails set we laid our course to the northwest, without caring whether or not it was the route to boston where we were to go this incident threw us completely out of our course and we experienced thick fogs which did not enable us to take an observation for a period of twelve or fifteen days provisions commenced to run short and we were put upon a ration of water we encountered an english vessel coming from ireland and our captain went on board and returned with a bag of potatoes and two small pots of butter for myself and children having compared his position with that of the english captain he found that we were fifty leagues to the north of the azores on learning this my husband prayed him to put us on the shore of the azores from which we might have been able to gain england but the captain was unwilling to do so 
ten days followed in which we were unable to take an observation and the fog was so dense that even upon our little boat we could not see the bowsprit the captain did not know where he was old harper assured us that he felt land breezes but we thought that he was endeavouring to cheer us up finally the twelfth of may seventeen ninety four at daybreak as the weather was warm and the sea calm we were on deck with the children to breathe the fresh air the fog was still very dense and the captain declared that the land was still at a distance of at least fifty or sixty leagues i could not help remarking however the nervousness of the dog a black terrier of which i was very fond and who had taken a great fancy to me the poor beast rushed forward barking and then at once returned to me and licked my hands and then repeated the same action this singular performance had already lasted for an hour when a little pilot boat appeared near to us and a man cried in english if you do not change your direction you are going to run on to the cape a cord was thrown to him and he sprang on board it is impossible to describe the joy we felt upon seeing this pilot from boston we had arrived without knowing it at the entrance of this magnificent harbour of which the finest lake in europe can give no idea leaving the open sea where the waves were breaking with fury over the rocks we entered by a narrow passage where two vessels could hardly pass at the same time into a body of water as quiet and smooth as a mirror a light breeze came up from the friendly land which was to receive us the transports of my son cannot be described for a period of sixty days he had heard us talk of the dangers from which thanks to heaven we had escaped the remembrance of good white bread and of the good milk of other days often troubled his young imagination when he saw from this straight passage by which we were entering the green fields the trees and flowers and all the beauty of the most luxuriant vegetation his joy was unbounded our own although more reasonable was not less intense end of part 1 chapter 16